He said, these are actual events, but the names of the guilty are held back to avoid cursing them for a life of ridicule. (laughs) He said he could remember an argument over the length of the worship pastor's beard. It It had to be shorter than the senior pastor's beard. The worship pastor couldn't have a longer beard than the... I don't think we have to worry about that with Stephen. He has no facial hair at all. There's a church dispute over whether or not to install restroom dividers in the women's restroom. They were, they were, in, the, they were in the women's restroom, but, but not in the men. There was an argument over and a vote to decide if a clock in the worship center should be removed. A 45-minute heated argument over the type of filing cabinet to purchase, black or brown, two, three, or four drawer. A business meeting argument over whether the church should purchase a weed eater or not. And it took two business meetings to resolve that, he said. Arguments over what type of green beans the church should serve. These are all true stories. Major conflict when the youth borrowed a crock pot that had not been used for years, but they didn't ask before they used it. This is one of my favorites. An argument over whether the church should allow deviled eggs in the church meal. (laughs) And he said, only if it's balanced with angel food cake for dessert. (laughs) An argument over who has the authority to buy postage stamps in the church. A disagreement over the use of potluck instead of pot blessing, because we don't believe in luck as believers. A dispute over whether the church should allow people to wear black t-shirts, since clearly black is the color of the devil. And while those things are very real and these kinds of things are silly, it's where you end up when you go beyond the text. It, it's it, it's what your Christianity will become when you go beyond the Bible. And God gave His Word for our good, and and when it's used, when it's used to argue, it's a sure sign that we've made it a curse. Now I'm not saying lack convictions. We we believe the Bible with all of our heart and stand resolutely where the Scripture stands, regardless of what happens in the culture. And you're going to be doing more and more of that, whether that comes with the the biblical role of men and women, whether that comes with sexuality, whatever it is. We stand resolutely because the text says so, and that is our authority. What I'm talking about is going beyond the text. There are actually people who build their entire life and, and some even ministries arguing and and engaged in conflict. Um they they call it defending the faith, and the faith should be defended by the truth. Last week we saw how extra-biblical rules deface authentic Christianity, and trying to keep them will stunt you in your, in your growth of sanctification. Life in Christ can be choked out by, the, by the, the weeds of legalism. Today we're going to see how going beyond what the Bible commands is not only a reinterpretation of God's Word, but it's a rejection of God's authority. That's really what Jesus says to the, to the Pharisees. And when you place traditions over people, you've missed the point of the Bible entirely. The Bible was given to people for our good. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, if you're not already there. Matt read the text for us, verse 23 through 28. 
And I hope you're noticing as you walk through Mark, you, you, you feel this, this, uh, this conflict building between Jesus and the Pharisees. And he's on a collision course with them that will ultimately end in the cross. And the conflict increases in this scene that we have today. This scene and the next one in the, uh, the Sabbath healing, chapter 3, verses 1 through uh, 5, these are arguably happened on the same day, and they're both an argument about the Sabbath, and they're both conflict with the Pharisees. The two confrontations, one happens in a grain field and one happens in the synagogue. And we're not going to look at the synagogue today. But the point of contention is the Sabbath and, and extra traditions that were placed by the Pharisees on top of, of what God commanded in his word about the Sabbath. And the disciples are, are walking through the, the hillside around Galilee, and it's the Sabbath. And as they do, they reach down and they grab some heads of, of wheat or barley that's growing there. And, you know, you ever, you ever do that? Um, uh, we, we used to uh, chew on the uh, little weeds whenever you were a kid, you know, and, and you'd grab it and you'd break it off. Well, they would grab the stalk and, and rake it up, and then the head would be left in their hands, and they would take the head like that, and they would blow the chaff away, and then they would eat the grain. And that's what they're doing. The problem is that they're doing it on the Sabbath. And what they were doing was something that was absolutely permitted in the Old Testament that I'll show you but it wasn't permitted by the extra-biblical traditions of the Pharisees. And they respond with questioning Jesus, because Jesus, as the teacher, is responsible for his disciples. And Jesus responds to them by showing them the correct interpretation of the Old Testament. And then he rocks their world, as Stephen said this morning, by declaring that he is God, he is the Lord of the Sabbath. You think they were angry when they saw him collecting heads of grain on the Sabbath. They turned ten shades of red whenever he made that statement. He makes two statements, actually. He gives the example, this illustration, Old Testament illustration of David and how he eats the bread of presence or the showbread, as your Bible probably says. And then he says the Sabbath was made for man, not the other way around and that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And that's his response to them. And his point, the overarching point, is that God gave his word, his commandments, his precepts for our blessing and our good, and people matter more than traditions. Here's the outline we'll walk through. The priority of people over traditions. There's the arrogant accusation of the Pharisees in verses 23 and 24. There's Christ's thoughtful answer. He doesn't argue with them. He says, have you not read? He takes them back to the Bible in verses 25 through 26. And then he gives a reproving application where he makes those two statements. The Sabbath was made for man, and I am the Lord of the, of the Sabbath. Let's look at this first one, this arrogant accusation. Look if you would at verse 23. It says, now it happened when he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and that's the key, as he went, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, the Sabbath runs from sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday night. And it was a holy day. It was a sacred day. Apart from circumcision, the Sabbath defines what it means to be a Jew. 
To be a Jew, you were circumcised. That was the sign of the covenant. And the evidence that you were a Jew is that you kept the Sabbath holy. It was significant. This is not like um, one of the Levitical laws, not to say that that's not important. But the, the, the keeping of the Sabbath was significant. And while other rules were important in the system, the Pharisees created the, the majority of their rules around the Sabbath. And, and Jesus goes right for it. The Sabbath, the concept of the Sabbath, actually comes from creation. It comes from Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, where God rested. He ceased from work on the, on the seventh day, and that's what the word means. But that's all the Old Testament says about it. It says that the Sabbath is to be a ceasing of work, and it's for worship. But as we talked last week, the Pharisees had added all different other things to it. The Bible doesn't give any particular rules about how far you could walk on the Sabbath, whether you could pluck heads of grain or what. It just says you're not to work, you're to rest. It's to be a day of joy, not burden. It's made for man, it's made for rest, it's made for recuperation, it's made for restoration, it's made for worship. And while the Bible gives no restrictions, the Pharisees invented endless, impossible rules. And those rules were as restrictive as possible. The idea of the Pharisees is the, is the more denial you have, the more holy you become. Have you ever met somebody like that? The more difficult and complicated they can make their walk with Christ, the more righteous it seems like they're, they're living. If it feels good or if it seems good, it must be bad. There's something in us that declares that. And you can apply that just about, just about anything that is, a, that is a blessing. And yet Jesus does the opposite. In fact, he does the opposite of what the Pharisees do. You remember Jesus, he, doesn't, he, he, he wrote the Mosaic Law. He spoke it. It comes from him. And he didn't add to it. What did he do? He summarized it. He reduced. He says the entire law and the prophets hang on two statements. Love God and love your neighbor. He doesn't add. He, he gives the original intent, if you will. All his other things are just to reinforce those two primary purposes. Love God and love others. He said the entire Old Testament hangs on those two phrases. He didn't add burdens. He removed them. But the Pharisees did the opposite, and they guarded their rules ferociously. On the Sabbath, no burden could be carried that weighed more than a dry fig. If you threw an object in the air and caught it with the other hand, it was sin. If you caught it in the same hand, it wasn't. If a person was in one place and he reached his arm out for food on the, and the Sabbath overtook him, the Sabbath started, he, he would have to drop the food and not return his arm or he would be carrying a burden and that would be sin. Nothing could be sold, nothing could be bought, nothing could be washed, there could be no fire lit. Cold water could be poured on warm, but warm couldn't be poured on cold. You could not bathe for fear that when the water fell off, off of you, it might wash the floor. A candle, if a candle was lit, you couldn't put it out. If it wasn't lit, you couldn't light it. Women couldn't look in a glass or they might find a white hair and be tempted to pluck it out. True. Women couldn't wear jewelry because jewelry weighs more than a dried fig, and it goes on and on and on. No sowing, no reaping, no plowing, no binding, no threshing. No winnowing, no sifting, no grinding, no weaving, no separating threads, and on and on and on. And those were all forbidden. Talk about a heavy system. How could you keep that? Well, you can't. 
It was oppressive. It was unscriptural. And it was also unkind. It, it didn't fulfill the purpose of the Sabbath, which was for man, for our good, for our blessing. Jesus says to them in Matthew 15, You have substituted conditions of men for the law of God. And this system is exactly what Jesus had in mind. Whenever he said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, Come unto me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Take my yoke upon you, not the yoke of the Pharisees. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He wasn't talking about people that are doing physical labor. He was talking about people who are under the oppressive burden of these religious systems and traditions and found no relief of a guilty conscience because there's nothing that they could do. There's no day that could go by that they didn't violate something. And I would say some of you probably walk around with that kind of feeling because I think it's easy to fall into. You walk around like Pigpen from Charlie Brown. You remember Pigpen? He walks around with a dirt cloud over his head, except it's not a dirt cloud, it's a guilt cloud. And... That's there because you're trying to keep a bunch of extra biblical rules that are not scriptural. And your conscience is being condemned over and over and over because you have taken something that God never placed in His Word and you're trying to keep it. And Jesus says, that's not from me. Jesus said, come unto me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Learn of me. And that's a massive difference. The massive difference between grace and legalism. One hope places all hope in God. The other places all hope in a set of man-made rules that you can never keep. MacArthur said, Jesus was always forcing people to choose between His gospel of humility, repentance, grace, and faith, and the damning religion of Judaism, full of pride, self-righteousness, merit, and work. And he's not upset by this confrontation with the Pharisees. He invites it because it was a matter of the gospel. Choose Judaism or choose the gospel. There's no in-between. Choose old wineskins or an old worn-out cloth or new wine and new material. And the choice is the same today. Choose the Bible as it's presented and find blessing or add extra-biblical rules and find a heavy burden. And that's what the Pharisees were saying. It's not lawful. Why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And what they were doing was absolutely lawful. Deuteronomy 23, 25, God makes a wonderful provision for travelers. You can enter a neighbor's grain field and you could pluck a head of grain. You can't put a sickle in it. You can't go into your neighbor's field and harvest all of his stuff and take it home. But if you're walking along... And you, you it, it, I mean, if you're walking somewhere and you cross somebody's, uh, somebody's property and there's an apple tree there and you're hungry and you pick the apple, it's not a bad thing. I wouldn't care if you picked an apple. You come in with a, with a, you know, a bushel basket and load it down and haul my apples off, then that's a problem. God had the same kind of provision for grain fields, standing grains. And so his disciples were doing exactly what the Old Testament allowed them to do, but it wasn't what the Pharisees permitted. And so the Pharisees challenged him. Look at verse 24. 
they, they said to him, that's to Jesus, because the disciples are his followers, and they say it's not lawful. This is not a, a, a question. Like, teach me why they're doing that. Maybe I'm wrong. This is a threat. It's an indictment. What they're doing is not lawful, and if you don't stop them, there's going to be a price to pay. That's exactly what the Pharisees were saying. By the way, did you ever wonder how the Pharisees saw them doing this in the middle of the grain field and called them on it, right, whatever had happened? It's the Sabbath. They're only allowed to walk 1,900 steps. I want you to notice that they don't condemn Jesus for walking on the Sabbath, which would have been, which would have violated the Pharisaical law. They pick what he violated that they can catch him on, but say nothing about their own violation while they're laying in wait to try to catch Christ in some violation of their own rules. They conveniently don't mention the walking part. Legalists always apply their laws to others and find a way to excuse them themselves. That's why Jesus called them hypocrites. And if you find a tendency to accuse others, you've got an issue. You really do. It's a hard issue. I have it at times. I'm not condemning you. I'm condemning the sin. You probably also will find it very easy to excuse yourself. And Jesus answers them with an illustration from the Old Testament that gives the whole point that they're missing. Look at verse 25. He gives this thoughtful answer. But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those with him, how he went into the house of God in the, in the days of the high priest and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priest, and also gave some to those who were with him. Now when he said, Have you never read... That would have been, as they say, uh, something that smoked their bacon. I mean, they considered themselves to be the masters of the, of the text. If you had a question, they could answer it. And Jesus says, have you, have you never read? And he takes them to a passage that justifies the very thing that the disciples are doing, condemns the very thing that the Pharisees are arguing against, and it's right there in their Bibles that they're supposed to be experts of. I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't argue with their system. He doesn't say, no, I make new rules. He appeals to the Bible. He appeals to Scripture. And the answer to legalism isn't less Bible. (laughs) It's the proper interpretation of it. Don't think freedom in Christ means freedom from God's Word. It doesn't mean less Bible. Freedom comes from rightly dividing God's Word and then living it because God's Word was written for our blessing. And that's the point of the story that Jesus gives. He, he reminds them of an Old Testament story. And the story is about David and his companions who were in need and who were hungry. And the story comes from 1 Samuel chapter 21. We don't have time to, to go there this morning, but I encourage you to go read it. Because David is fleeing from Saul, who wanted to kill him. And according to 1 Samuel chapter 21, David is about a mile north of Jerusalem, and, then, and he goes to the tabernacle. He has no food. He's hungry, and he meets a priest, and he asks the priest for food. And the priest doesn't have any food except for the consecrated bread, the bread of presence. 
It was called the bread of presence because God is the ever-present one. And there were 12 loaves that were replaced every Sabbath. And those 12 loaves were placed before God's presence. And each of the 12 loaves represented one of the 12 tribes who were in the presence of God. And it was a reminder of their need of fellowship with God. Bread, fellowship. 12, 12 tribes in God's presence We find fellowship with God in His presence. And it symbolized that. And that was all that there was. And while those twelve loaves remained there, no one could touch them. But when they were removed on the Sabbath, they were for the priests to eat. But no one else. And David comes, and he's hungry. And that's all the bread that the priests have. And they enter the house of God. And they ate the consecrated bread. The priest gave them the consecrated bread, which was truly not lawful for them to eat. What the disciples were doing was lawful, picking the heads of grain. But what David and his men did, there really was a a, a precept not to do that. And the priest gave it to them. You know why the priest gave it to them? Well, there's two words right here. Have you never read when David, what David did when he was in need and hungry? He gave, the priest gave David the bread because while the bread was special, people were more so to God. People matter more than rules. That's what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. And the priest gave David and his men the bread because he understood the point of the law. Unlike the Pharisees, he understood people are the priority. And if you have to choose between people and traditions, you should choose people. They're the very people that God created the ceremony for. A pastor told a very convicting story that I was reading this past week in study. He said it was personally convicting, and he shared it with his congregation. He told a story about preaching in a church one Sunday whenever he noticed a teenager up in the balcony texting on her phone during the entire sermon. Now, you don't have to worry. Some of you come up to me and say, I'm sorry, Pastor. You know, I worked the midnight shift last night or whatever. I didn't mean to fall asleep during the sermon. I I have no idea whether you fell asleep or not. As far as I know, you're the most attentive bunch of people on the planet. So you don't have to worry about that. But this pastor noticed a girl, and she was texting during the sermon. And he said the longer the sermon went, the more upset that he got. He said, I couldn't believe how rude she was. And I wanted to call her out from the pulpit. And after the service, I made my way over to her, ready to tell her what I thought of her tenacious texting during my amazing message. And he said, just before I corrected her, I overheard her tell someone, the lady beside her, how she was really bummed that her friend didn't come to church that morning. When she realized that her friend wasn't going to make it, friend that was lost that she invited, she decided to text the sermon to her in real time. She was helping a friend learn about Jesus, and the pastor said, I was being judgmental and legalistic. Human need transcends religious rituals. Ouch. The girl had the right heart. The preacher didn't. The preacher had the right heart in acknowledging that in humility. That people do matter more than traditions, but people didn't matter more than the traditions to the Pharisees. 
There are two ways to approach the commandments of God, either as a happy child or a burdened slave. The happy child says, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits? Oh, Lord, I love you so for what you've done for me. What shall I render unto you? What service shall I render unto you? What shall I give unto you for all of your benefits? And the other is a burdened slave who says, What must I do to avoid your rebuke? One acts on great principles, the other on little rules. One serves God, blesses man, and protects him who cherishes it. The other is useless to everybody, including the Lord. And the Pharisees cared more about their rules than the people that they tried to force to keep to keep the rules. And Jesus goes on, and he reproves them from Scripture. There's the example of David and the priority of people. Here's this reproving application that ends this whole scene. Verse 27 and 28. This is a powerful passage and powerful statement. I mean, if Jesus, if his words were stinging or a rebuke when, they, when he said, have you never read, this blew their mind. Here in verse 27, Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He gives the proper interpretation of the Sabbath as the sovereign interpreter of the Sabbath. And then he says, therefore, because I have that right, I have that right because I'm the Son of Man, and the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. I am God, is what he says. Here you have the the sovereign interpreter of the Sabbath declaring its purpose. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I wonder if Jesus could take our list of traditions or rules or whatever it is, and and he could see them, we would lay them before him. I wonder what interpretation of those that, that he would give. But here the Pharisees get the Lord's interpretation. The Sabbath was made for rest and blessing and joy and mercy and compassion and the meeting of needs. What better day to heal somebody than on that day? What better day to feed somebody who's hungry than on that day? Rather than saying, don't heal them, it's the Sabbath. and Don't eat that, it's the Sabbath. All of God's law is good. Romans 7 tells us that the law is not the problem, we are. And our problem is, in our sinful state, we either reinterpret God's law And when we do that, we reject God's authority. And Jesus corrects both the reinterpretation of God's word by the first statement, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And he also rebukes them for a rejection of God's authority. I am the authority, Christ says. John Piper said the the law... Is like a is like railroad tracks. I love this illustration. Piper's really good at coming up with little memorable things. He says the law is like a you like railroad tracks. They give us the path in which to run, and we're like the train that sits on the railroad tracks. The law is good. God's commands are good, 
and we're the train sitting on the tracks. Prior to salvation, there's no fire in the engine if it's a steam engine. There's no electricity in the train. The train has no motor. You've got the law, but we can't keep the law. We don't even want to keep the law. The train is dead on the tracks. But when you get saved and the Spirit of God indwells you, now you have an engine. <laughs> and the train goes down the tracks, and we are to, to uh, uh, keep His commandments if we love Him. The, the, the evidence that we love Him is that we want to keep His commandments like a happy child. And the Holy Spirit propels us down the tracks. But what we want to do is pick the, the railroad tracks up and make them like a ladder and try to climb our way up into heaven. We take what we're to run on by the power of the Holy Spirit and we try to make it a ladder to climb into heaven. And when we misinterpret God's word, it's a serious offense. It's a rejection of his authority. It's not just missing the point. It's not just your interpretation, my interpretation. It's God's interpretation, and it's God's authority. That's the point. That's how serious of a matter it is. And if you don't know and you're not sure, then lay your hand over your mouth. And don't speak about a text that you don't understand because you're challenging God. Not me or anybody else. I have no authority and no right to do otherwise. Some of you say, why don't you just give me the three things I'm supposed to do this week? Because the Bible matters. And understanding it matters. Every jot and every tittle, line upon line, precept upon precept. And Jesus was rebuking the Pharisees for rejecting God's authority. And he declares he's God. He says the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And he drops the bomb of all bombs on their self-righteous minds. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I am the sovereign ruler of the Sabbath, is what Jesus says. It's the Messianic title. He is the Lord of the Sabbath because He's God. I am the sovereign of this day. I destined this day. I'm the creator. I'm the interpreter of the will of God for this day, is what Jesus is saying. You don't rule the Sabbath. I rule the Sabbath, Jesus says. You don't set the standards for the behavior, behaviors on the Sabbath. I do. I interpret God's will and God's word because I am God, is what Jesus is saying. And when we trust God's word, we're, we're saying we know better. I don't mean by that that anybody in here is going, I'm going to twist God's word. I don't care what it says. I know you don't do that. But this sermon is to get you to check. And it's to instill in you a holy fear for doing that. We're not sitting under the word in submission. We're rising over it as master when we don't rightly divide it. And it cheats you. And it challenges God. It cheats you from the blessing that the word is intended for. And it challenges God who gave that word with the interpretation and with the blessing. If he wanted to add extra things to it, he would have added extra things to it because he is wise and he is good. It steals the blessing intended and it says, I know better than, than God. You know what the significance of, of this the sequence in Mark, 
Jesus is proving that He is the Messiah, that He's the Son of God, that He is God, by demonstrating His care for people above traditions. The Pharisees were, had, were bankrupt Judaizers that offered no salvation, and the evidence was that they did not even care about what their rules did to people. And they wanted to, to apply the rule to people that were even hungry in need. And here is Jesus showing that he is God by being the merciful and compassionate one. The Sabbath was made for man. You say, so So what do I do? Let me give you four things. What do I do about extra biblical rules? What do I do about my tendency? What do I do about my conscience that's already bound by these things? Maybe it's things that that you were brought up with. Maybe it's things that that they're just there and, and you can't overcome them. You need to receive the rest that only Christ can give you. If your relationship with God is more about working rules than a resting relationship, then ponder these words that Jesus said in John 6.29. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's the work that you do. You believe. Jesus, Hebrews says, is our Sabbath rest. Receive the rest that only Christ can give. That starts with salvation, and if you've already been saved, come back to the simplicity of Christ. Do you find that when you first got saved, it was a lot easier? Sometimes I long for those days. I really do. I long for the days when I was an idiot, and I didn't know anything, so I wasn't accountable for anything, right? You remember those days? Nobody rebuked you. Nobody judged you. Nobody nobody talked about you behind your back. Or Did you see what they wore? Did you see what they did? Because you didn't know any better. They said, ah, they're just first saved. They don't know any better. But they'll learn our rules pretty soon, and then we'll be able to hold them accountable. Isn't that sad? Simple faith. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. As a happy, holy child pursuing His Word. Lord, what can I do? What can I bestow to you today for all of the benefits that you have bestowed upon me? Submit to the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I mean by that. Submit to the Word. The apostles proclaim that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. He's Christ. He's the Savior of your soul, but He's also the Lord. And how do you submit to the Lordship of Christ? You place your life under this Word. In every belief, everything you have, you test it by this Word. And if it's not in this word, then you don't submit to it. If it is in this word, you stand resolute. You don't add to this word. You don't take away from this word. If you don't know what the word says, you pursue the word. If you still don't know what the word says, then you find somebody else that can help you. You submit to Christ's lordship, and his lordship is in the word. You know Matthew 18 where it says to brothers... Go, if a brother sins against you, you go to them and you show them their fault. That word show their fault means to take them in the scriptures and show them their fault. And then it says, if they hear you, you've gained a brother. 
Notice it doesn't list any sins. Okay, you only do that if it's an adulterer. You only do that if it's a drunkard. Or you only do that if you're whatever. What's the here mean? It means that you showed them in the Bible. In the Bible, they say, yes, okay, that's what my master says to do. So I'm going to submit to it. I hear it. I hear and obey it. And what's the ultimate? If they won't hear the church, it gets all the way to the church, then they're acting like an unbeliever. Let them be into, into you as a heathen and a publican. Try to evangelize them because they're not evidencing that they're really saved because the Bible says this and they refuse to hear it. They reject the lordship of Christ. See, obedience is worship, not as a yoke of burden. Don't focus on what you can't do on Sunday. Focus on the fact that God's given you a day that you can spend with your family, with your church family, and find rest and recuperation and focus on Christ. Wouldn't it be nice if Sunday became something like that again? It's an act of worship. And then ultimately put love over legalism. Love trumps legalism and love can be tough at times love means that you do for somebody else what they need not what they want it may it may love may have teeth sometimes doesn't mean being a 500 pound marshmallow (laughs) but love for god and love for others is the priority and if all the other stuff is getting in the way of that then shove all the other junk away and get back to loving god and loving people. That's the message that Jesus 